While I am ready to put out a one ad for the Chicago Bears offense, officially, after they lose to the Tennessee Titans, one of the worst defenses in the NFL, but in the most positive news, the NBA draft is this Wednesday. It's going to be a good one. I'm going to talk who the Jazz need to target in this upcoming draft. We're going to talk their neighbors, their NCAA neighbors, the Utah Utes right now with their football season really being in a lot of jeopardy jeopardy lately. I mean, the University of Utah Athletic Department really appears right now to have come to a crossroad as it pertains to their 2020 NCAA football, football season. So let me set the stage for you. It's November 6th. It's a crisp morning. I'm getting excited because this is the Utes' first game. They're going to play Arizona, right? But on November 6th, the University of Utah requests to cancel this, cancel that game. And sure enough, they cancel it due to COVID, the COVID-19 outbreak here in the state of Utah with cases rising rapidly. I hope you all are staying safe right now. It's crazy. And then the Utes say, look, we're going to attempt to play UCLA on the 13th. No, not on the 13th. On the 14th of November. We're going to try to do that. But a positive test comes back Friday morning. And the Utes have to cancel again. I mean, it is mid-November now. And the Utes have yet to play a football game. Its next schedule attempt at a season opener is... November 21st against USC at Rice Stadium. That'd be on eight on at 8:30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on ESPN. But that game is no lock to actually happen at this point. I mean, in the wake of latest cancellations of NCAA football games, it doesn't look too great at all. I mean, per Utes athletic director Mark Harlan. The football program will test on Saturday, test again on Sunday, then decide on how to proceed with another game week set to open on Monday. The Utes only have four games. Utes had originally four games scheduled. Mind you, this is just because they were just basically going to play all the teams in the Pac-12 pretty much. They were like, all right, you know what? We're going to weed out some teams and only play specific teams in the Pac-12. And, now that's not going to happen, really, it looks like, at all. I mean, there's a lot of concern because there's so many factors at play when it comes to deciding if we're going to play a game. Really, I mean, really, one of it being COVID-19. It, I mean, it's huge. <sighs> Man, it's it's getting crazy, you know. You want to give these young young men every opportunity they can to compete for your university not only for the university, but for the state of Utah. You really want to do that. But honestly, at this moment in time, we don't really know where college football is going. We really honestly don't. You know, I think colleges and teams are going to continue to move forward and they're going to work with their medical advisors and they're going to try to come up with these best-case scenarios. But as of right now, I mean, it's so tough to – Find these best case scenarios. I mean, honestly, it's 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 tough. You know, I know how many Utes fans there are here in the state of Utah. The Utes provide so much energy, and they provide a lot of us with joy, right? But this pandemic 
is so serious. I mean, honestly, we need to take this so seriously. It's crazy. It's crazy. So a lot of you are asking me, okay, look, when are the Utes really going to take the field? I mean, that was the University of Utah's second attempt at starting its football season. And once again, it got canceled off. And to be honest with you, I can't tell you. I can't tell you when the football season is going to come back. I mean, right now, their their season looks like it's pretty much teetering. I mean, we really honestly don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's it's so crazy right now. Now, Utah's rival, BYU, they're 8-0 right now. And BYU, for two straight games, had spectators in the stands. Now, not, not yeah, for two straight games now, because and they had spectators in Boise. But now they're kind of their season's kind of up in the balance and in the air as well, because it's like, are they going to compete with Governor Herbert's new mandates here in the state of Utah regarding coronavirus? Who knows? Right? It's going to be crazy. This is so crazy. This virus is so unpredictable. So, no, I don't know when Utah's football season will, will start. I hope it starts on the 21st of November. But, you know, at the same time, you want these people to be safe. You want these players to be safe. And at the same time as well, you want to give them uh, the opportunity to play as well. So let's hope for the 21st that they're going to play USC. USC is already the 20th ranked team. And then they would try to shoot again. If that doesn't work, they'd shoot for the 28th and try to play um, Arizona State in Arizona. Their next attempt at a home game would be on the 5th of December when they would play Oregon State. So, you know what? This is going to get crazy. You know, it's already been crazy enough. You only have four games left on your schedule. You've already had to cancel two. So you originally had six planned. Two have been canceled. So you have four left. How many of those four are actually realistically going to get played? Or is the Pac-12 and the University of Utah just going to call the season off for right now? I honestly don't know. I wish the best for these young men. I wish the best for all of you out there right now. But let's talk about another team in Salt Lake City in the Utah Jazz. So like I said, the NBA draft set to happen on the 18th of November, a beautiful Wednesday. I can't wait for it. I'm so pumped. Right? And you know... Right now, we are so spammed with an uncountable number of mock drafts. I see them all over the place right now, right? You've probably seen your fair share at this point. Let's be honest. I mean, we all we all pleasure ourselves looking to these things, man. I love looking at them. And if you're a Utah Jazz fan, you've probably seen a lot of the same names come up over the last couple of weeks. I mean, the Jazz have the 23rd pick in this year's draft, and it's very, very tempting to go with the grain, and it's really easy to watch some highlight reels and buy into some of these consensus picks that other people are making. Trust me, I get it, because sometimes I'm one of those people, I'm like, man, I got to give in to this because he's correct, and he's making better points than I can come up with. But look, I think the Jazz need to target some certain players this offseason. Number one for me, is going to be Robert Woodward II out of Mississippi State. He's six foot seven. The kid's the kid's amazing, right? We heard Dennis Lindsay say on Friday that he's looking for somebody unique. And to be honest, that could mean that they're unique in how they play the game, their style in the game, the way they score, the way they shoot, their their body, right? Well, guess what? 
Robert Woodward II is one of the most unique college basketball athletes out there, I believe. He's six foot seven, 230 pounds, and he is completely shredded. People, this guy looks like an absolute bodybuilder. I mean, to say that his strength and speed is impressive would be an absolute understatement. And you know what? It would pretty much degrade him, right? <laughs> you know, what I've really liked about him when I've watched film on him, I really love his defense. The Jazz, one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. This guy would provide a lot of defensive upside. He recovers quickly and he has the length to close out on anybody. And guess what? He's going to play both sides of the ball very well. It's going to be on the ball and as a weak side defender. This kid has the stuff, I believe. I mean, now when it comes to screens, he's very, he can be pretty slow when it comes to the switches. But to be honest, from what I've seen so far, I mean, it's not so slow to the point where you're calling him out and going, look, that is, that's un, I don't know how to say, it. I mean, it's unacceptable per se, right? You want to, you want to scream at your television type. That's not where I'm at with Woodward. I think this kid has the stuff. I believe he can get the job done when it comes defensively to the jazz offensively. He's not the best, right? So, you know, look, we'll get over that. Next for me, Desmond Bain. He's out of TCU. He's six foot six, man. The Utah Jazz, the biggest thing when it comes to the Jazz is they don't want to sacrifice shooting, and they definitely wouldn't if they picked Desmond Bain. He's been an absolute consistent shooter for TCU over his entire career there. Look at his senior season alone. He averaged 44.2% from the three-point range on six-and-a-half attempts per game. That is very, very good. You want something like that. I mean, there are a lot of people out there, though, they're very concerned when it comes to Desmond's shot. They really kind of critique it pretty hard. They're like, wow, he's got such a stiff release. The guy almost, they almost remind him of Lonzo Ball in a sense when he was shooting it, when he, before he went to the straight shot. But you know who else had a really ugly shot? His name, I brought him up. His name's Lonzo Ball now. He had the best... <laughs> NBA career? Absolutely not. But he still figured things out and he was still getting the job done. But the thing about Desmond Bain is he doesn't need the ball in his hands constantly. He's not one of those who needs the ball to feel fulfilled at his job in basketball. That's not who he is, right? Now, you're not going to get the same length on the defensive end as you would with Woodward, but guess what? He's able to stay with the quicker guards a little better and guess what? He does have some versatility on the defensive end, and that's very positive. That's a great upside when it comes to a guy like him. When it comes to defense for Desmond, off the ball is where he has the strong, he has the advantage point when he is off the ball as a defender. When he's on the ball, he's ugh. But when he's off the ball, he's able to get into those passing lanes. He's able to get steals because he can read your eyes very well. He reads where the point guards are going to attempt to make a pass, and he knows when he's know where guy he knows where guys are going to cut. That is a very good upside on the defensive side for a guy like Mr. Desmond Baines. The final guy for me, though, is Mr. Josh Green out of Arizona. Now, these 
are players that you know you've seen very closely linked to, to the Jazz throughout this draft process. I mean, and to be honest, it wasn't an accident that I didn't mention their names at all. I mean, Josh Green really does fit the profile, the kind of player that the Jazz could realistically use. I mean, he's six foot six, he's a wing. And he's super explosive. The kid has a lot of spring and a lot of bounce in him. Guess what? He also shoots the ball pretty well. And he's an excellent defender. I mean, watch him. He is the perfect prototype for a 3 and D wing in the NBA. So he fits the Jazz's stereotype. And he fits and he'd mesh in the Jazz's offense so well. But the real concern... Everybody's draft report I've read on this kid is inconsistency. He's very inconsistent. Look at some of the games he's played in. I mean, he's hasn't shot the best. So there are games where he has a bunch of turnovers. He's a pretty slow decision maker. He has lapses sometimes. And that that's where he becomes a risk and a liability. For the Jazz and the Jazz go, oh man, can we really draft this kid? He's gonna, if he's gonna be really turning the ball over that much, and he's gonna be doing this and this and that, and he's gonna be inconsistent. Do we really want him at the end of the day as compared to a Desmond Baines, who's maybe not gonna be the best every night, but he's still gonna be consistent enough to the point where you're like, look, I can rely on him and he's gonna be an asset for me. That's what I want, right? The Jazz have been linked to him, though. Josh Green picking him at 23. So don't really be surprised come draft night if Josh Green is picked by the Jazz at number 23. The other guy I've heard a lot about is uh, he's from Maryland. His name's Jaden McDaniels, right? The Jazz are very big on culture, and they're very big on the character of their players. And with McDaniels, uh, yeah. Culture and character, you know, are some things you kind of question. Now, I'm not going to question him at all because I don't know the kid. So, from what I've seen, he sounds like a good guy, though. But McDaniels is one of the players who we've kind of described throughout this whole process. He's got a lot of upside to him, and he's got a lot of potential, but it's still in the raw development stage. It's still pretty raw, and you don't really want to wait for it to, you know, kind of happen, right? You know, you want it to happen kind of right now, you know, you, you need that right now. I get, I honestly get that the Jazz trust their development system and aren't afraid of ja drafting someone who does need some time to kind of mold into that role. But when you have players that are already have those skills, it's kind of like, why not draft those guys instead of waiting for a guy like Jaden McDaniels to morph into that player? So who knows, really, if they drafted him, if he would really pan out come long term. Now, like I said, the Jazz have really reportedly really liked both Green and McDaniels. So don't really be surprised at all if those two are picked at the 23rd spot from Utah. I mean, Dennis Lindsay, like I said, he's looking for a unique player. Those two guys are unique players. They would provide such different perspective to the Jazz, and they provide height. 
That's another thing. The Jazz are very big on defense. Like I said, very big defensive team. That's Rudy Gobert needs a partner. Not saying that Boyan Bogdanovich is not good at defense, but look, he's really not the best at defense, man. And it, it shows. It shows. So you want to pair a guy with Rudy Gobert, come back up or, you know, starter that can stick with Gobert defensively, can stick with the rest of the team defensively, you know, cut off those lanes, make sure players aren't getting the ball because Rudy can't do it all defensively. Mitchell's really kind of spiking into a great defensive player. I've really liked him a lot on defense. Mike Conley can stick with those quick point guards, and he's not afraid to get around the screen. I've been very impressed with him getting around the screen and sticking with his man. So, who really knows what's going to happen? I mean, this draft is going to be so fun. So fun. You know you know what's not fun, though, and who's not happy right now? I imagine Coach Matt Nagy is not happy. He just gave up the play calling this last week. And guess what? It's a good thing because the Bears rank in the bottom five in points scored in total yards. That's so unacceptable. I mean, the Bears... They were looking for an offensive boost earlier in the season, and they tried to do that by making Nick Foles their starting quarterback. But guess what? Nick Foles really hasn't made the offense that much better. Coach Nagy, he's like, crap, dude, I got to make another change. So he hands it now to the offensive coordinator, Lazar. So happy he finally did that. Bill Lazar is finally going to get the play calling, man, and he's going to start it. Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. That's tonight, folks. Make sure you stay tuned for that. That's going to be a fun game. For Coach Nagy said this quote, it's not easy. It's one of my favorite parts of coaching. I love it. I love it. We need to do what's best for us, not what's best for Matt Nagy. Close quote. Coach Nagy, you chose Bill Lazor for a reason. You didn't like John DeFilippo. My goodness, sorry. I I had like a brain fart there. You had him as the play call play caller over the quarterbacks for the last couple of seasons. Now you're ready to move on and you hand it to Bill Lazor. Bill Lazor. My my goodness. I can't say I can't even do anything tonight, I swear. DeFilippo. He worked with Foles in Jacksonville and the Philadelphia Eagles, so it really kind of caught a lot of us off guard, but we're still pretty happy because Lazora served as offensive coordinator for three NFL teams, but it this is his first season with Chicago. Now, he does have prior work with Foles back um, with the Eagles in 2013 when he threw 27 touchdowns and two interceptions, but that was when uh, Chip Kelly was the coach of the Eagles. I mean, Chicago, this is a whole different, this is a whole different team. I mean, Chicago ranks 29th in scoring average. Chicago averages 19.8. That's what it is. And they rank in the bottom five, the NFL and points per drive. The other embarrassing thing is the bears are also second to last in the league in yards per play at 4.8. And they're dead last in the league with 82.3 rushing yards per game which, to be honest, is a huge reason for the Bears' offensive struggles. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I said, look, for the Bears to be successful 
offensively, they need to get at least 100 rushing yards a game, if not more. Now, David Montgomery is ruled out with a concussion for uh, Monday night's game, so we could probably see Nall start at the running back position, but I don't know, really. Look, it, this is ridiculous. Foles took over the starting job in week four, and guess what? The Bears are only better than the winless New York Jets in total offense and rank in the bottom three in scoring offense. That is ridiculous, and that is unacceptable. This this doesn't feel good at all. If you're a Bears fan, you feel this pain. You know what I mean when I say, look, I want to put a one ad right out right now for the Bears offense because it's ridiculous. The Bears need a spark to start their offense because guess what? The offense in the past has played such a pivotal role in shifting the momentum of the Bears' season. You're coming in to the Minnesota game. You've lost three games in a row. You started 5-1. and one. Okay? Your first six games, you were 5-1. and one. But now the Bears are fighting for their playoff life thanks to an offense that, guess what, trips over their own feet. That's how I... That's how I talk about the offense. This offense basically trips over their own feet. You hope Bill Lazor can freshen up the play calling because guess what? This realistically could be the Bears' last hope at a playoff opportunity, at a playoff shot. I don't care. You know, I was glad Coach Nagy said, look, it's not about pleasing me. Yeah, dude, it's not. The biggest question right now is, can the new play caller solve the Bears' biggest problem? And that is their offense. This is ridiculous. You need to get it done. You need to get this job done, right? Finally, Matt Nagy's done. Bears fans, we are thrilled. Bears fans out there, I think NFL fans in general are happy that Matt Nagy has given up the play calling. Because you're like, holy crap, dude, you suck. You're making this team stink. They don't need this. This is the last thing they need. Because look at the Bears' next couple games. You'll play the Vikings, then you'll play the Packers, then you'll play the Lions, Texans, Vikings, Jaguars, Packers. Packers are... Great team this year. Vikings, they're three and five. You got to beat them, right? The Lions at this point, they kind of stink, right? (laughs) Like, they're not a very good team. The Texans at this point, they're not a good team. The Jaguars, they stink. You've got to beat teams like this, but guess what? The Bears really struggle to beat teams like this. They don't know how to for some reason. I don't get it. I don't get it. You think you'd think so Matt Nagy's quote unquote mentor was Andy Reed. Remember he worked for Andy Reed in Kansas City. So you think you'd take something out of Coach Reed's playbook. And because look Coach Reed has one of the best playbooks in the NFL. There's a reason the Chiefs 
are one of the top teams in the NFL right now. It's ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that the offense is one of their only struggles right now. The offensive line is a huge problem. Charles Leno, Charles Leno and Bobby Massey have really, really underperformed. Then you have Rashad Cower and Jermaine Effetti. They're playing below average. They're not even playing at a subpar level. They stink. And guess what? We are so many games into the season now that it looks like you can't fix that. And that you're not going to fix that. It's ridiculous. You have I mean, you want you want to fix it. You want to fix it. But at this point in the season, can you? So Monday night, tonight, will prove to us if Bill Lazar can actually make a difference when it comes to this Chicago Bears offense. Not the offensive line, just the offense, because the offensive line is a totally different subject, man. The defense isn't playing all that well either. You know, Robert Quinn looking terrible. I mean, look at the look at the game against the Saints for crying out loud. He only got to the quarterback once. He hit the quarterback once the entire game. Same for Khalil Mack. Now, Khalil Mack's a different story because they're starting to double him. Watch watch these games, man. These teams are trying to are figuring out Khalil Mack in the sense of look, if we double him, we stop him. Because when Khalil Mack's doubled, dude, he he can't he can't get through it. He struggles. And it, you know, and it's pretty evident. And guess what? That's not a bad thing at all. Oh, it's ridiculous, man. These bear the Chicago Bears have so many flaws, and you know what? Some of them are unfixable, but guess what? So many of them are fixable. And guess what? If you fix them, you save your season and you save your playoff hopes. Okay, folks, we're gonna take a timeout. When we come back, when I come back, we're gonna talk about the Rockets and Nets. They have a rumored trade, and it's supposed to be this big old blockbuster trade. And, folks, this could really change the momentum for James Harden's career. That's all coming up next. Welcome back. Thank you, Bad Boy Entertainment, for welcoming in from back from the break. And folks, I told you we're going to talk NBA trade rumors. But before we even do that, we have got to discuss recent MLB news. We recently crowned an American League Rookie of the Year and a National League Rookie of the Year. American League Rookie of the Year goes to the Seattle Mariners rookie, Mr. Kyle Lewis. And the National League won. Goes to Mr. Devin Williams of the Milwaukee Brewers. Both had impressive seasons. Let's first talk about Kyle Lewis. I mean, Kyle Lewis joins Mark McGuire as the only rookie to lead their team in batting average, home runs, walks, and runs. Kyle Lewis was an absolute stud. He was a defensive monster. I mean, we saw those catches. We saw those catches out in the outfield. They were 
nonetheless impressive. I mean, look, listen to his stats this season. I mean, he had 54 hits, he had 28 ribbies, and he had a 262 batting average. That is super solid for a rookie, especially when you consider that, guess what? This was a 60-game season, right? So much was unpredictable when it came to rookie of the year. When you have a 162-game season, that all changes. We don't know if that rookie of the year is going to be going to Mr. Joe Adele in that sense or a Jared Walsh of the Angels. I mean, I keep bringing up Angels players, but really there weren't a whole lot of rookies in the American League class. I mean, when you think about it, but Mr. Kyle Lewis was very, very deserving of it. What a stud. Then you have Devin Williams of the Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, he was the first relief pitcher to win Rookie of the Year since 2011. And in 2011, Craig Kimbrell won Rookie of the Year. And remember, he's a relief pitcher. Kind of stinks right now, but, you know, we get over that. This guy's stats, I mean, he's ridiculous. I mean, he only allowed one earned run and eight hits and 27 innings pitched all season long. He had a 53% strikeout rate. That's an MLB record, people. I mean, listen to his stats. He had a 0.33 ERA, 53 strikeouts. Opposing batters were batting .090 against him, and he pitched in 27 innings. Now, it's so weird to say that, look, he he only pitched in 27 innings. I mean, it's it's so crazy to even kind of say that, but guess what? He was very deserving of it. He was electric coming out of the bullpen, and you can hope as a Brewers fan that, look, I hope that he comes out this way in a 162-game season. I mean, that's what you want to see from a guy like him. Now, more MLB news. The Angels hired Perry Manasian as their next general manager. Now, reminder, he was the assistant general manager in Atlanta. And, you know, just, just the fact that the Angels got a new GM is so heartwarming, right? This is a guy who's been a baseball executive with more than 30 years in the great and wonderful sport of baseball. It is the first time in Perry's entire career that he will lead a team's baseball operations. He replaces Billy Epler. We all remember that amazing day. It was September 27th when Mr. Billy Epler got the boot. It was beautiful because Billy Epler had five straight losing seasons. Now, he left the team in a better position than Jerry Depoto left it for him. But still, this is so this is so weird. I mean, Perry Manasian's path alone, was it, it's really just unconventional, right? He started as a pro scout in 2003 for the Texas Rangers. And before he was their pro scout, he served as the uh, clubhouse attendant and as a bat boy when he was a young when he was a young gentleman. Now, in 2009, he joined the Toronto Blue Jays scouting department, and he led the team's pro scouting department from 2011 to 2016. And then he was named special assistant to the general manager in 2017. Remember, Toronto. They went to the playoffs in 2015, and that was their first playoff appearance in 21 flipping years. That was huge. We all remember that team, Josh Donaldson, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion. We remember the fire those guys brought to the table. And since his first full season at Atlanta, 
the Braves have won three consecutive National League East titles. So the guy, you know, he's been doing something correct, right? Um, Perry Manasian was chosen from a field of more than 16 candidates, including four of those 16 who had previously served as a general manager. So the only other finalist who joined Perry Manasian in the second round of interviews was Jeff Kingston of the Dodgers, Justin Hollander of the Mariners, Jason Micheliot of the Chicago Cubs, and Jared Porter and Emil Sade of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And that is coming from a team source, apparently. So Manasian, they saw something in him. But guess what, folks? His task, the task at hand for him is definitely not an easy one because he is going to be, be expected to reverse this losing record Billy Epler left us with. So since our the Angels' last postseason appearance in 2014, they have a record of 417 and 453. So the Angels have a losing record. They're not even close to being a 500 team right now. The Angels have Mike Trout, the best player in baseball right now, arguably the best Major League Baseball player at this very moment. He's only been to one playoff series. You want to get Trout a playoff win. Trout has no playoff wins, remember. They fire, the Angels fire Billy Epler on September 27th. It was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. Now, the Angels, remember, Tony LaRusso left the Angels front office because now he's got a managerial job in Chicago with the White Sox. And, you know, we'll see right now how that goes. But you hope that this guy does really well. I mean, some scouting reports on this kid is this guy is, according to Jim Bowden, this is what he says per Ken Rosenthal. So Ken Rosenthal says, quote, this kid has great scouting report. He's excellent, outstanding with people, excellent communicator, connects with players, coaches, front office, old school scouts, natural leader, stud evaluator. He's an amateur, international, and pro when it comes to scouting. The big upside to Mr. Manasian is, for me, really the analytics slash data side of the equation for him. The Angels really need to look at people who are really going to look into the analytics and, and data of the game because, I mean, if you look at the stuff these other GMs are doing, they're looking into and they're really diving into depth in these new and... I don't know how to – and an informative statistics. And that's what the Angels need. And Billy Epler obviously was not doing that. But the task at hand for him, for Perry Manasian, is you got to get starting pitching. The Angels have a lineup that is pretty deadly and they can score runs. But now the question is, can you get pitching? Can you get a Masahiro Tanaka? Can you get a guy like a Trevor Bauer for crying out loud, right? Because Marcus Stroman, he's officially off the market. He has re-signed with the New York Mets. Now the question is, now there's very limited guys right now on the market for you to get. Trevor Bauer being the hottest starting pitcher free agent. The question is, can you get a guy like a Trevor Bauer or even that caliber? I think Angels fans would take Masahiro Tanaka because I know I would. I know I would, folks. So that is some very positive news coming out of Anaheim is the Angels finally have a new GM, and he's got a lot of upside. Okay, speaking of upside, 
we're going to talk about Mr. James Harden. Man, there's so many, like I said, there's so many NBA trade rumors going around this time. You know, we are bombarded when it comes to the NBA right now. We are bombarded with draft analysis and we are bombarded with trade rumors. And the biggest one to me right now is the possibility of James Harden being traded to Brooklyn and reuniting with his old teammate, Mr. Kevin Durant. So Houston right now has to really evaluate their options, man. I mean, ESPN is the first one who reported Harden's interest in playing for the Nets. James Harden right now is 31 years old. He played three seasons in Oklahoma City with Kevin Durant, and he was traded to Houston in 2012. Now, Harden, since 2012, he's arguably one of, been one of the NBA's most dominant at offensive players. I mean, remember, he got the MVP award in 2018. He's also won the NBA scoring title in each of the last three seasons. He averaged 34.3 points per game last season. This guy is lethal. But guess what? The Rockets right now, they're at a crossroads, right? Here you are. You just exited the second round of the playoffs. You were done. You were just basically kicked from the bubble, right? Really stinks for you. And then Mr. Mike D'Antoni says, I'm out. I'm out. Then last month, general manager uh, Daryl Morey resigned. So what do the Rockets do? They replace Mike D'Antoni with Steven Silas. And guess what? He's a widely respected NBA coach. Great guy, right? They replace D'Antoni with Steven Silas, and then second, they replace him with Raphael Stone. And Raphael Stone has been a part of the Houston Rockets organization for quite some time at this point. And they've publicly signaled a commitment to keeping the core of the roster intact, meaning, look, we're going to keep Capella, Harden, Westbrook. We want these guys to stay. But guess what? There is a wide belief right now that James Harden wants out of Houston. He's like, look, I'm done. And then I remember hearing earlier this month that Russell Westbrook wanted to get out of Houston. I was like, oh my gosh. So in regards to the James Harden trade, Brooklyn is one of the very few teams right now who are saying, look, we want James Harden. We just got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving last season. They're both hopefully going to be healthy at the very beginning of the season, and we're going to be a championship contender. Now, look, the Nets are also looking at Drew Holiday, and Drew Holiday is the Pelicans point guard. He's being shopped right now by New Orleans. Brooklyn definitely has the ability to make a strong offer to Houston, man. The Nets have engaged... Uh, the Rockets, I mean, look, they've cited Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Torian Prince, and Jared Allen as potential parts of a trade. Now, Dinwiddie and LeVert, they are two rising guards, right? And they're going to be very, very appealing. But guess what? The most appealing part of that trade to me is Jared Allen. He is a defender at his best, man. He's a rim-protecting center, and that's what the Rockets need. They don't really need a guy who's going to score at this um at the center position, you look at James Harden right now from the contract standpoint, he is owed a $131.5 million over the next three seasons. That's a lot of money. Then you have Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is owed $132 million over the next three seasons. 
The market for Russell Westbrook, who's only one year older than James Harden at 32, is much more minimal compared to James Harden, though. These guys are terrible together, right? You look at the two of them together, right? I talked about it last year. They're both ball-dominant guards. They both feel the need for the ball to be in their hands. And to be honest, both of them did a very terrible job at trying to mesh together. Look at the playoffs, for example. How many times, now if you're a Rockets fan, you feel this pain. You understand what I'm about to say. How many times were people screaming at the television for for Russell Westbrook to pass the ball to James Harden in the NBA bubble playoffs? I'm going to give you a second to think about that. Guess what? It was a lot, folks. Constantly, constantly. I mean, Westbrook had this need of, I need the ball in my hands. I'm the dominant ball handler here. I'm the dominant scorer. That's who I'm going to be. Yada, yada, yada. That's that's how it was. That's how I felt, personally. That's how I personally felt. There is not a big market for Westbrook, though. I mean, the guy only shot 25.8% from the three last season. That's ridiculous because Russell Westbrook's athleticism is a big part of why people want him. This is, I mean, this is really ridiculous. I mean, you look at, let's look on the surface right now. Let's kind of all take a kickback right now. I mean, on the surface, Harden's interest in teaming up with Durant and Kyrie Irving seems pretty peculiar, right? But Harden and Durant maintained a strong relationship after Harden was traded away from Oklahoma City. So they're still brothers, man. That's what you do. They didn't break up the friendship. Harden, though, he's the alpha male in Houston. We all know that. Russell Westbrook, you ain't the alpha male. James Harden's the alpha male over there in Houston. And guess what? (sighs) Mr. Mr. Westbrook wants to be the alpha male, but it's not going to happen. So James Harden going to Brooklyn, and you know what? I wouldn't mind it. I wouldn't mind it. So, you know that that that's that's kind of what I got to say. You know, I can't really, can't really like you know, <laughs> you know, I I can't knock it. Really, I really can't. I mean, if he gets traded there, that's great, man. That's great, actually. Like, good for you, man. The next trade rumor, and it's supposedly supposed to be going through, um, the Los Angeles Lakers are trading for Thunder guard Dennis Rodier. Um, This is is what the trade deal is right now. Uh, The Lakers are going to send veteran swingman Danny Green in the first-round pick to Oklahoma City in exchange for Rodier. Green, you have to remember, he's entering his final year for two-year deal. He signed with the Lakers last year. But Schroeder's contract is also expiring, though. ESPN reports Los Angeles intends to sign him beyond next season. Guess what? I think it's a pretty good move. Is it a spectacular move at the end of the day? No, but it, you know it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good move because Schroeder. You look at what he did in Oklahoma City last year. It was great, and I mean he was just coming off the bench. He he was a first round pick a couple years ago, and he posted career highs in field goal percent field goal percentage and three-point percentage this last season. The Lakers just won the playoff, just won the uh, the NBA Finals. My goodness, folks, I'm, I'm struggling today. 
You just had Mr. Playoff Rondo. What is he going to do? I've heard the Clippers are in the mix for Rondo. Who knows where he'll go? But guess what, man? Schroeder coming to the Lakers is great because I could see him either coming off the bench or I could see him potentially starting because guess what? It's, I don't know. It's, it, it kind of, you know, it's, it's a tale of two cities right now. You know what? At one point you go, look, you know, in Atlanta, him starting, it was okay. You know, he was just kind of a mediocre player at that point. Coming off the bench in Oklahoma city, this kid became an absolute stud. And we're talking about sixth man of the year type stuff. Dennis Rodier, who knows? You know, I talk a lot about a change of scenery for players. Could a change of scenery to Los Angeles and getting that starting point guard point guard job for Schroeder kind of change the path of his career? For sure. For sure, but who knows, right? And he's also a great defender. You know, he is a perimeter stopper. He can also get in the lanes. This is pretty good. I think it's a good trade for the Lakers. On Oklahoma City's side, look, Sam Presti, whew, I don't know if the Thunder fans are too in love with him. He got rid of Paul George because Paul George demands trade, gets rid of Paul George. Cuts Carmelo Anthony. Then he gets trades out Westbrook to Houston. Okay, picks up Schroeder. A lot of fans like him. Now he's getting rid of him and bringing in veteran Danny Green. Sam Presti's going to be under a lot of heat because, look, the Thunder, well, you still, right now at this moment, you also still have uh, Chris Paul. But who knows where Chris Paul will go this offseason. I mean, I've heard Lakers. I've heard Clippers. A Clippers reuniting with Chris Paul. But look, I don't know where Chris Paul is going to go in this offseason. I can maybe give you a guess. I think he might end up on the Lakers. I don't know, though. I could see him reuniting with the Clippers, though. Or I could honestly just see him staying in Oklahoma City going, look, I get another veteran presence in Danny Green. That's solid. That's what I want. And maybe we can turn this ship around and we can possibly get ourselves in serious playoff contention, right? Like, Oklahoma City does not really have like a terrible bench for Sam. I mean, you're still going to retain Steven Adams. He's pretty, he's getting older. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, we still have Danilo as of right now. And we, we have a pretty good young core that we can depend on. I mean, it, it's pretty iffy at time, but Oklahoma City looks like they can depend on their guys there, right? Like, I, I think so. But really, at the end of the day, this is a better trade from the Lakers' standpoint of view, instead of the Oklahoma City Thunder, because this Thunder are really in a rebuilding process, and adding a guy like Danny Green, is that really helpful at the end of the day for them? No, not really. Let's be honest, right? Let's not beat around the bush. It's not really that helpful for them. Lakers' standpoint of view, this is great. You're just adding yet another young player, right? You're possibly going to re-sign Anthony Davis. Who knows? I've heard Anthony Davis is looking to go to his hometown of Chicago, team up with Zach Levine and Lori Markkinen. That would be quite a sight. That would be quite a sight. We'd like to see that. But who knows? You just came off a championship run with LeBron James, the best player in the NBA right now. Who knows what Anthony Davis's mind is right now regarding free agency. But you had a guy like Schroeder. He's young. He's upcoming. He's got a lot of upside to him defensively and offensively. 
especially defensively. Like I said, he's a great perimeter defender, and he can cut off those lanes to the basket. So who knows where the Lakers will be. They have a good young core, right? I mean, they're, they're still pretty – they're intact. You know, you got rid of Ingram. You got rid of Hart. You got rid of Lonzo Baller. They're in uh, New Orleans now. You got Anthony Davis, and he has the possibility to leave. Kuzma's flash signs of greatness in the playoffs, but who knows? I mean, Kuzma's been very inconsistent. Who knows where the Lakers will stand after getting a Schroeder to, if, if a da- Anthony Davis does leave. How many spots does the Lakers drop? Lakers drop. I mean, I think most of us have them at the number one team in the NBA right now and in the Western Conference. Get rid of Anthony Davis. How many spots do they drop, man? The Clippers probably retain that number one spot. They come in and they claim that. Who knows, though? I love NBA trade rumors just because, you know, some of it is totally balarky and some of it is gold, man. It's like, holy crap. I could definitely see that happening, and that would be quite a positive thing, but who knows, man? Who really knows? I want to thank you all for tuning in today. You know, I'm so sorry. You know, I had some guests planned for uh, today's show, but with Governor Herbert's new mandate, I did have to cancel most of them. If you would like to be a guest on the show, please DM me. I'm now I'm not afraid to have any of you on the show. I I think most of my viewers are pretty intelligent and knowledgeable when it comes to sports. And I'm always happy to talk sports with you. And, you know, you obviously know that because you're listening to it this now. But, look, it's tough. It was really tough to cancel uh, these guests. Even, you know, we tried to work some stuff out over the phone. I mean, it just it just didn't work at the end. But um, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm going to try to get some great guests on here for you because you guys deserve to hear somebody else other than me ramble on for about half an hour to an hour, you know, right? You guys get tired of me at some point. So once again, I am so grateful for you guys tuning in. Please make sure to stay safe, wash those hands, sanitize, wear a mask, please. I know sometimes it's hard to wear it, but if you do it, you're playing your part. And if you wear a mask and you sanitize and wash your hands, we can beat this coronavirus. We can beat COVID-19. Folks, until next time, peace out.